0: So it feels like summertime is here. And that means bringing out the summertime favorites. Maybe for you it means opening the pool, firing up the grill, or stocking the freezer with your favorite popsicles. Well, that was the idea of a young man named Noah Ruiz. Uh, He, in particular, liked the SpongeBob SquarePants popsicle. Uh, There he is, enjoying it. Um, In fact, one of his life goals is to meet SpongeBob SquarePants. Maybe Universal can make that happen. And as the story goes, um, what he's actually standing on is a bunch of SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles to the tune of 918 of them. Now, how did that happen? His mom had given him the computer, and with an unsupervised Amazon account and the help of his sister, they ordered 51 cases of these popsicles. And that cost over $2,600. Now his mom is a single mom studying to be a social worker, doesn't have freezer space for almost a thousand popsicles. And as she reaches out to Amazon, they say, not our problem, this is a third party vendor. So they're stuck with melting popsicles and no place to put them, and a bill that no one wants to pay for popsicles. To which I say, what a mess. And I bring this up because you might not have had a Popsicle mess, but can you relate to a mess? For you, maybe it was the idea to do a renovation at home, and you you thought it'd be a brilliant idea to renovate the kitchen or the bathroom, and then you got into it and you explored how much bigger it was than what you figured, and and somewhere along the way, you say, what a mess. Or maybe at work, and your company takes on a project or you're working with coworkers, and somewhere along the way, it is more than what you bargained for, and you just say, Man, what a mess. And then, then there are serious messes of life, like relational messes, a relationship that is strained or broken or even gone. The financial messes, where as much as you budget and as much as you work, it seems like you can never get ahead and the bills are unrelenting. And you'll always just be scraping by. Or perhaps even an emotional mess. And you know all the promises of God. You keep them in your mind and yet you still struggle with anxiety and worry and depression. We all know what a mess is. And that's why I love gathering in this place with all of you. Because something that we all have in common is mess. Mess. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's our our first takeaway, that we all deal with mess, each and every one of us. And so one preacher said, you know what? We actually have more in common than we do different because we know what mess is. And and the question is, what does God do with the mess that he sees? Because he can't hide it, right? He knows everything. Is he kind of like Amazon and he says, you know what, that was a third-party problem. I don't have to deal with it. Does he throw out the phrase, not my circus, not my monkeys? Have you heard that one? What is his heart for the mess that he sees in our lives? Let me show you. In John 3, verse 17, we have the heart of God. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Basically, Jesus didn't show up and say, hey, look at how good I am. You should be like me. He was sent to save the world, to do for us what we couldn't do, which was live a life without mess. And through his perfection, credit us through faith, that perfect record. His mission was to die on a cross, to clean up all the mess, and pay for all of it once and for all, so that you and I could have peace. And here's a tip-off for where we're going. I want you to know that whatever mess you're dealing with right now, God can handle it. And God can get you through it. And so we begin this series called Address the Mess. And maybe it's a gentle reminder to clean the garage, to work on the basement, For us at Amazing Love, you might see some dust because we're renovating in order to welcome a new pastor. You should check out the new office spaces. Yes, there is some dust as we address the mess. But most of all, what this series is all about is how God looks into our lives, sees mess, and what he does to handle it and what he does to guide us through it. And so today, as we hear his voice, we're going to open the book of Romans. And I want to give you just a little bit of the backstory for that book. Paul, the apostle, is writing to people he's never met. And he's trying to systematically set forth what we believe about God and who he is. And in his first three chapters, what he does is he he sets this premise that we're all messy. And he has three categories. In the first chapter, he talks about people where everyone would say, Yeah, that's a mess. You shouldn't do that. Those are sins for sure. They're messy. Then he goes to a second group of people, people who seem a little bit more cleaned up, Their sins are not as obvious. They don't do the bad sins. But Paul says, you know what? You guys are still messy. And then he addresses one final category, and this category of people believe that they don't have mess at all. These are the Jews. These are the children of Abraham. They're the examples. They're all cleaned up and got it all together. And yet Paul says, actually, you're just as messy as the rest. He shares that, but then he also shares a very powerful solution to it all. So that's where we pick things up in Romans chapter 3. And something we believe about the Bible is that God is actually speaking to us through it. And so I invite you to stand as we honor the the hearing of the word of God. From Romans chapter 3, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace, Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. These are the powerful words that we get to pick apart. Before you sit down, could you just say to someone next to you, God can handle your mess? God can handle your mess? Please be seated. One of the biggest messes in the history of Chicago has to be the Great Fire of 1871. I don't know if you've ever taken an architectural tour and know the reason behind why we call Chicago the second city. So the second city, uh, some have referenced because it's second to New York, but really another um, strategy and reason behind it is because they had to build it again. That fire absorbed 2,000 acres of Chicago. So significant that when it comes to the city, uh, one of the stars represents the great fire of 1871. And to the greatest mess that has ever been created, do you know who they blamed? A cow. You got it. A cow was blamed for the greatest mess. We didn't want to look at a person, so let's just blame the cow, right? Uh, It's Mrs. O'Leary's cow who kicked over a lantern. In fact, there was this folk song that was going around Chicago uh, back in the day. I wanted to share it with you. It goes like this. Late one night when all were in bed, Mrs. O'Leary lit a lantern in the shed. Her cow kicked it over, then winked her eye and said there will be a hot time in the old town tonight. Here we go. The only problem with the theory? It's not true. Total lie. In fact, a new historian uh, back in 1997 got enough evidence together to exonerate not only Mrs. O'Leary but also her cow. And one of the sons of the O'Learys uh, also figured out that it wasn't this lantern. Uh, he had a theory that maybe it was the green hay. And green hay kind of acts like rags with tarnish on them that are highly flammable. The reason I bring this up, though, is because it shows our natural inclination. When it comes to a big mess, do you know what the human natural inclination is to do? It's to blame, isn't it? And, And that's a takeaway I want you to write down and consider. The bigger the mess the more likely we are to blame. And and we might absorb some things, right? We, We might absorb, yeah, I got that and that. But when it comes to the big things, oh, man, more likely are we to defer that to someone else. And maybe you've seen that when kids get in trouble. And what do they do? They blame the sibling, right? And maybe you've seen that in friendships. Or maybe you've seen that also in marriage, You know, it's interesting for me as a pastor, I have the privilege of sharing the word of God to so many different people, but when things go really, really bad, I've seen people get in a state where they have nothing wrong with them. They won't look at it even a little bit. The mess is so big that it's all the other person's fault, and it gets really, really ugly. Do you know this is natural inclination since the very beginning? So the biggest mess that was ever created is the fall. The fall. God had set up this perfect plan for his people, and Adam and Eve rebelled against the plan and they disobeyed God. And when God addressed the mess, you know what they did? When, when Eve was asked what happened, the serpent. God, if there wasn't this talking snake, I would have never eaten the serpent. That, that was the reason I, I did what I did. And then Adam, the woman, I'm so glad we've stopped blaming the other gender, right? I mean, we have grown so much in that. The woman, she did it! Or how about this, the woman, you! He has the audacity for breaking the world to blame God! So maybe, just maybe, we should pause and understand that if you are in a mess... Your knee-jerk reaction to it may be not be pointing true north. Your knee-jerk reaction to it might be wrong because our knee-jerk is to blame someone else. And so Paul has to address this. And the first verse that we heard addressed it very well. And Paul wrote it this way. He said, Now we know whatever the law says. It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Basically what Paul is saying is this, that the law of God exists, and exi- exists for a singular reason. It's not so that good people will know how to save themselves and become perfect. The law exists for a primary reason, to show you you're a lawbreaker. That's why it exists. To prove to you you could never be good enough to be right with God on your own. That's the reason for the law. And more than that, as he says, it silences us, it means that if you know what God has revealed, then no one who has ever lived and understands this should ever be able to say, Well, I can't believe. And did you hear what they and I would never, but they do. You can't say that. You can't. Not not if you understand what God is revealing because we all have mess. And so God is saying, you know what, the the law reveals our mess and it silences self-righteousness. There should be no one who understands this lesson that can can walk away and somehow claim superiority. No one who understands this lesson that can walk away and, and somehow say, well, I got it all figured out. No mess here. In fact, this was such an important principle to Jesus that he told this parable of a Pharisee and his prayer. And this prayer is just ridiculous. I wanted to share it with you. So Jesus told this, this Pharisaical prayer that the Pharisee stood up in the pe- in the temple and said these words: "God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people—robbers, evil doers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector." That is not a model prayer. And basically, Jesus was proving no one should say that. He might not have had those sins, but he had sin just the same. It was the height of hypocrisy. Because we all have mess. So why do we do it? Why do we blame? Why don't we live in a culture where more people just own what's going on in their own lives? I have a theory. To expose my theory, I want to share with you a story. So it was a few years ago, I was at a pastor's conference in Atlanta and to get to that conference, we had to rent a car. And for me, that's a lot of fun because I like cars. Especially a new car, newer model. It was a brand new Chevy Malibu with shiny chrome rims when that was the thing. I think they now paint them black. Black is in, But anyway, shiny chrome rims and I was tooling around all Atlanta with this new car. It was a lot of fun. But I got lost along the way, and I was uh, picking up my dad from a car repair, and um, I had to do a UE. And because this car was new, I underestimated its turning radius. And as I went to do the UE um, pretty fastly, I didn't hop the curb, but I did scratch those shiny chrome rims. Road rash. And what this means is that when I end the conference and I'm taking the car back to Enterprise, I am sweating and I am hoping that I will not be stuck with a big bill. And so I get there, and I sheepishly pull it up, and I don't say a word. I'm waiting for them to say something, and they don't. They say, thank you very much, and I'm free. And so I walk off to my flight, and I say, praise the Lord. He's good. He protects pastors. That's awesome. But that's not actually what I was thinking. See, in my mind, my conscience was compelling me. You're a pastor and you tried to get away with that? In fact, what I had in mind was Luther's explanation to the seventh commandment. If you were up Lutheran and you memorized these, this was what is in my mind in that airport. We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. And as I was processing this in my mind, I thought, well, what if I was the owner of that enterprise? i wouldn't like someone returning the car all damaged i would want them to own what they did to my property but here's why i didn't want to go back and why it took a while number one i didn't want to pay the bill number two i didn't know if i had enough but i go back anyway had enough time flight wasn't taking off and i Sheepishly approached the counter, still sweating. Hey, I just returned the car and I didn't tell you when I returned it, but the, the rims are all scratched up. And they said, Oh, yeah, we saw that. It's just covered. What? That's amazing. Nonchalantly, it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal to me. Yeah, we saw it. It's just covered. Enterprise planned on messy people. And they plan to cover the messes. Praise the Lord for insurance. Now, what's my point to all of this? Here's my theory why people don't come to God. Because I believe that in their heart of hearts, they know just how big the mess is. They know somewhere in the recesses of their heart, it isn't a little matter, it's a big one. And two things keep them from God. Number one, I'm not sure I want to pay, whatever the total will be. And and number two, and, and probably more likely, I don't know if I have enough. And so people stay away from God and they stay away from church because they know the mess, but they don't know the solution and they're scared of it. To which then Paul comes in with the gospel, the sweet, sweet gospel, and he reveals this. He says, God then presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to received by faith. And what this is revealing is that God looked into your life and He says, You know what? Yeah, I saw it. It's just that I planned to cover it. And Christ came in and He, he shed His blood. And as we're saying, Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, that is a payment for any mess. A mess in the past right now or in the future. There is no mess that that blood can't cover. How beautiful. And so a takeaway. You can come to God. Come out of hiding. Stop denying, stop blaming. You can own your mess and know the cross of Jesus Christ is enough. You have peace through him. And that's why we reach the lost. That's why we create a church culture where anyone and everyone can come here, be loved, because the love of God is enough for every messy person, and it's enough for us. But you know, there's so much more that this idea addresses. And so I'd be remiss not to talk about a few things that are going on in this world that this idea addresses the first thing I want to talk about a little bit is that our country is divided. Did you see it? Have you seen it? It's interesting when you go to Pew Research about the elections that it didn't matter what side you were on. If you thought the opposing candidate was elected, 90% of people thought that that opposing candidate would do lasting damage to our country. 90%. They weren't middle ground. They thought, no, it's going to be destroyed if that other person gets in or then the coronavirus. It's interesting all the divide that happened. Masks, no masks. Vaccine, no vaccine. Store open, store closed, what should we do? It's interesting that we saw that when it came to race relations, black and white. It's interesting that our culture for a long time has been dealing that when it comes to gender, men and women. And into this divided dynamic, we have the word of God and and consider what Paul said. He said, there is, can you say these two words? There is no difference. That is so important to understand. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, and we can fill in the blanks. There's no difference between Republican and Democrat. There's no difference between vaccination people and unvaccination people probably a better word for that. There's no difference between men and women. There's no difference between black and white. There's no difference between rich and poor. There's no difference. Because, guys, God looks down. Here's what we all have the same. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whoever you've been ruling out because they're too broken, you're just as broken. And more than that, they're justified freely by his grace, not only are all broken, but they're all offered the same solution, the blood of Jesus Christ to cover it. And so if we took this truth and we sunk it deep into our soul and we said, God, I'm not just going to be a hearer of your word, but I'm going to doer of your word, then I believe this would be the natural progression, that we would use our understanding of universal mess to unify. That in this country, we would have Christians who look across the aisle of politics and said, you know what, you might have a different perspective, but you're a person who understands mess and is just trying to help. I might not agree with you, but I understand you're trying to address the mess just as much as I am. And we might go to a neighborhood, and the people that we've written off in our family members, or when it comes to the people that we live around, we might say, yep, I was hung up by your brokenness, but if I understand I have my own brokenness, I'm not excusing it. But I will give grace, because that's what I need. If we sank this deep into our souls, I think we'd have less women writing off men and men writing off women, not because the sins they did were okay, but simply because they recognized an equal brokenness and just tried to live as people. And if we were to take this further, I believe it would start with us. Not the other person. To talk about that, uh, I have a chance to do premarital counseling and counseling. And um, obviously, in any marriage, you know, mess will happen. That's, that's part of two sinners getting together. And when it comes to handling conflict, one of the phrases I like to use is, it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. Do you know what I mean by saying that? Basically, that if you're ever in the midst of a mess... You can't blame the other person alone. In general, if the mess is big enough, even if it's 95% them and 5% you, you can still own your 5%. And as Christians, the way to win a conflict, the way to solve and get resolution and reconciliation is the first one to say, I'm sorry. The first one to say, you know what, I did something to contribute to the mess. In fact, I was learning from the example of some great pastors. One of them is named D. L. Moody. Maybe you've heard of Moody Chicago. And DL Moody uh, was once asked, you know, which are the people that give you the most trouble? And maybe the the person asking was thinking, you know, you know, it's all the robbers, the evildoers, like the, the Pharisaical prayer, right? Look at what he said. I've had more trouble with D. L. Moody than any man alive. Or then I consider a a pastor named Paul who wrote this letter. And as he was writing to another pastor named Timothy, he said, this is the scenario. That it's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. And if you and I, compelled by the Spirit, would get what the Spirit is saying, we could see into our own hearts and our own motives. And we could say with Paul and D.L. Moody, we could just be free and say, I'm the messiest person that I know. Does the Spirit confirm that at all? When we look at all the sins, all the mixed motivations, everything that's in our heart, we could say with those pastors, you know when it comes to mess, I am the messiest person that I know. And with that, I believe we should keep our attention on our mess and not the mess of others. Yeah, you might need to address that someday, but more is what's going on in your own life. You know, Jesus talked about this, and he talked about a speck and a plank, and and he said, you guys are so concerned about the speck in other people's lives, but you don't know that you have a plank in your own. You need to take the plank out in order to address the speck. And what God is basically reminding us, you come to me, and guess what? I know everything, and it's a lot. And there is no one who's going to sin against you more than you sin against me. And as you remember that, and my mercy and grace, let it transform your way with others. Lord, forgive our sins so that we can forgive those who sin against us. You know, when it comes to relationships, I sometimes think they're like a V8 engine. Love cars. Someday I'll drive a V8. And when an engine like this is working well, incredibly powerful. The piston's firing on all cylinders. Just a a beautiful thing, a beautiful hum. You know what happens if it doesn't have enough oil? The pistons grind. They can start knocking. The whole thing can come to a halt and just stall if there isn't oil there. When it comes to the people in your life, a healthy relationship is like a V8 engine. it can be a wonderful thing. But if you take the oil away that we call grace, if you stop giving grace, if you stop putting in that oil, those relationships, they're going to start to grind. And they're going to knock. And if you take grace away completely, there's no going forward. It's just going to stall out. And so what we learn is this, that the grace we crave from God is the grace others need. And so today as we've applied all of this, Maybe there are some people who came in here today and you've been so consumed by the mess of someone else and maybe God through the Spirit is first saying, but what about you? Is there something that you can own? Is there something that you can ask forgiveness for and let grace start with you and then continue to others? Thank you for being here for the first week. And look forward to the second week. Let's close with prayer. We pray together. Father, I thank you that you didn't run from my mess, but you sent Jesus to handle it. Thank you for the cross that covers my sin. And let me not forget how desperately I needed this mercy. In return, let me bring mercy to the messes around me. In Jesus' name, amen.